0: Good morning, church. Remember, we've got good training for 23 and a half years that the church is not a building, right? The church is people called out by God, set apart by Him, and filled, forgiven, and cleansed by Him, filled with His Spirit, and are about uh, following Christ. And that is the church of Jesus. And so I just am so glad to be here with you. And it's so neat to see. Uh, more and more of our friends who've been venturing back—it's uh, so nice to see. You. I haven't seen some of you for so long. It's just been—it uh, just thrills my heart. It feels like like family reunion, you know, like you haven't had Christmas together like for five years or something like that, you know, and you're finally getting uh, together. And that's awesome. You know we're in this series called Bless, and uh, it's again just helping us to understand as our church now refocuses and begins to get back to what God's called us to do, and uh, but in a way that's very tangible and practical that we can all do. And so uh, again, this idea was not new with me. I read it in a book, and we developed a series around that. We didn't just purely mimic it. It's obviously other thoughts and things went into it, are going into it. However. Uh, it came from a book uh, uh, by the Ferguson brothers, and I'm just so thankful for it. Um, let me test some of you who have been watching online or you're here. And in this process, there's basically, remember, Abraham was given a covenant that God would bless him, and through him, a nation would be born, and then through that nation or God's people, all of the people of the, the world would be blessed. We've been blessed to be a blessing. Those who follow Christ are blessers, we're not converters. And uh, God has called us to bless and love our neighbors and to love one another. So, what is the first B in this process? Uh, or, sorry, what is the first practice that we engage in? The B that means what? Be in prayer. And we just pray for people and we ask God to bless us and uh, so that we can bless other people. We are never reservoirs. We are rivers. We, we, we give out. God blesses us so that we give out in many, many ways. The, the L stands for what? Listen with compassion. We listen with compassion. We enter into the pain and the confusion and the lives of people and just listen. Christians have an incredibly poor reputation, and that is that we don't listen to anyone, and all we do is blah, 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 or we're down on everything. And we just need to get close to people, be in prayer, and listen to their story. Listen. Today is one of my favorite in the process, and we're talking about eat together, Now, isn't that a great thing? Come on now. Isn't that awesome? Absolutely. You know, food is a gift from God. It really is. Is there any other way to explain why He would create or design human bodies with over 10,000 taste buds? Now, He could have just, you know, not given us any and just made it go in to fuel us and that was it. But God gave us a gift and that is to enjoy and savor what we need. And I love that. You know, uh, I'm gonna play a little, um, when I was a young person, I was in Bible quizzing. And in Bible quizzing, we memorized books of the Bible. And then there was competitions about it. And I know it sounds strange, but it was a big, big gig. There's national, international competitions, do you know that? I remember being on the international team going down to the United States and our team from that section of Canada, we went and we, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of participants, you know, big stage and lights and seats that you just move and the light's up behind you. And we had this thing called finish this statement or finish the verse. And they give some words and they had to finish it. So I'm going to give you one. And uh, I'm going to give you three actually. Some of you, if you've grown up in the church, you'll know this. If, if you're new, if you don't follow Christ yet, you just hang on. You can learn from those around you. The Son of Man came... Give me one. The Son of Man came... To ser- to, not to be served, but to serve and give His life for many. That's right. That comes from Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Here's another one. This says in, this, in the Gospels. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. You know, this statement, there's only three of them in the Gospels, and here's the other one. Any guesses? The Son of Man came eating and drinking. <laughs> now, now, when you hear those, doesn't something go, like, that? that is out of place? That doesn't equate to the rest of them. We think of Jesus like, whoa, came to seek and save the lost. Whoa, to serve, not be served. He gave his life for it. He came eating and drinking? What does that have to do with anything? Well, Michael Frost, uh, uh, sort of a social exegete and writer, author, says this. He said, while the first two often quoted verses tell us about the purpose for Jesus' coming... The purpose of his ministry. The last one describes his method, how Jesus ministered so often. And in case you don't believe me, um, well, I'm going to walk you through something. But in the meantime, uh, an author, I I bought a book called uh, Holy Habits. It's a guy in the UK named Andrew Roberts. And um, what he did was he, you know, they developed an entire discipleship. That is, discipleship means, for those who are new, it's a process of becoming more and more like Jesus, the one you follow. We say we follow him so that we learn the practices that will help us become more like him and as a community of faith. And one of the things, uh, one of the holy habits that he has taken from Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, one of them is eating together. And he states this, as he studied the Scripture on it, that the gospel writer Luke, one of who wrote two major books in the Bible, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, he said that in Luke, he was particularly keen to place food and eating together at the very heart of discipleship community. He said, in Luke's gospel, there are 60 references to food and drink. Luke describes 10 occasions where Jesus is seen sharing a meal. And if you go into the Gospel of John, we got at least six more. In the book of Acts, in his second book, he noted that eating together was a key holy habit of the church, and it's always been very significant and is an essential practice for the people of God. If you don't believe me, let's take a quick trip through the Newer Testament. I won't go through the Older Testament that was steeped in all kinds of things surrounding food festivals, eating, celebrations, what you ate. Remember the famous Passover meal after coming out of Exodus that they celebrated all the time. And So here we go. Jesus, His first miracle was done where? At a wedding reception. That's right, John chapter 2, 1 to 12. Uh, this guy named Levi, or we would know him as Matthew, who wrote another of the Gospels in the New, Newer Testament. Matthew, Uh, In Luke chapter 5, and the same story in Matthew chapter 9, he says he had just become a follower of Jesus, and he was so enthralled with him, he was so excited to be called by him, that he wants his friends to meet Jesus, and so he does what he can do. He's not very religious yet, but he knows this. Jesus did something amazing for him, and he just wants all of his friends to meet him. And so what does he do? He throws a party. And he invites all his tax collector friends and sinners. And he invites Jesus and his disciples. Luke chapter 5, 27, 28. And after this he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi, this is Jesus. He sees him sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed. Sometimes we read this and we don't understand context. When you get to study the New Testament and you kind of put things together, this was not the first time that Matthew heard of Jesus. There's a lot of things that happened in the you know, first number of chapters of the book of John that have already been taking place. The word's been getting out, where they've been seeing miracles, hearing his teaching and all of this. So when he comes to Matthew, he says, "Follow me, and he leaves it all." Now, for those who don't know tax collectors, they were, uh, they were really hated by everybody. They were hated by their own f- Jewish people because they were employed by the Romans to you know, get their taxes paid and they would go to them and you know, they have to pay them the tax, but they would always up the ante. So if you were paying uh, 30% tax, they'd take 40 or 50% and they'd pocket the rest. They were sort of legalized extortion, if you will. And so the people didn't like them very much. But he leaves all of that and they follow. Verse 29, and Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. Don't you love the words? How many times do you read about Jesus reclining at the table? He wasn't eating and running. He was there, he was present. Verse 30, and the Pharisees, these are the religious elite. They were legalistic. They didn't like Jesus. They were so full of their rules that they didn't love people so often. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at Jesus' disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus overhears them. And he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, they do. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus loved these meals, and he sat there. He often ministered through meals. He often faced relig- uh, criticism from the religious elite because he ate with people that they rejected. We saw it here in this passage. It happened later on, two chapters later. In fact, they accused him, and they call him names. They said, you are a drunk and a glutton. Now, Jesus was neither of those things, but he so frequently ate with people who were that he got associated with them. And he blessed and loved people by sharing meals. Think about when he fed large crowds. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all of them record the same big one, and that was the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus was not only feeding them their minds from the word of his truth, but he fed their bodies with food. Over 5,000 men, plus women and kids, from two small fish and five little loaves. You read that in John 14. Then he fed another crowd. Do you know what happened another time? Jesus fed f- another crowd of 4,000 men, plus women and children, with seven small loaves and a few fish. That was in Matthew 15. Jesus described himself and the life that he would give to people who would trust in him, receive him, and follow him. He said he would actually give life to them, spiritual life from above, and he described that in terms of food. He said, I'm the bread of life. He said, I'm living water. Jesus was walking on his way, this is his last trip into Jerusalem before he gets, you know, has the the evening meal and gets arrested and all that and crucified. But on his way to Jerusalem, he's walking along and a very famous tax collector, one of the head of tax collectors, a a guy named Zacchaeus. You know, and I think, read the story, I always think of Danny DeVito. (laughs) Not that he's Italian, Lori. sorry about that. But the fact is that he was a real short guy. But he was like filthy rich, and everyone hated him. But anyway, he was so short, Jesus coming in a crowd, he wants to see Jesus. So he climbs a tree, a sycamore tree, to get a glimpse. And as Jesus walks by, he stops, and he starts to talk with him. And actually, Jesus invites himself over for dinner at Zacchaeus' house. So he goes in there, and something happened at that dinner. Something powerful happened to his heart because what happens at the end of that dinner, Zacchaeus makes the commitment before Jesus. He says, I'm going to return. It's called restitution. I'm going to return all the money I extorted four times. And what does Jesus say? Today, salvation has come to this house. Something happened at that dinner that was powerful. A couple hours before Jesus was arrested and eventually crucified, we see him gathering and eating together with his disciples in Luke chapter 2, verse 7 to 20. And during and concluding that dinner, Jesus instituted what would unite every believer, every Christian of every denomination over the entire world. And here's what N.T. Wright said about that. He said, when Jesus wanted to explain to his disciples what his forthcoming death was all about. He didn't give them a theory. He gave them a meal. And he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And he took the cup and he said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. He told them to eat this bread and drink this cup in remembrance of him. And he gave the church a meal. Yes, infused with theology. But he gave them a meal, not a theory. Yeah, he ministered through meals. In fact, after the resurrection, we see a wonderful scene that Jesus is on the beach. His disciples come in from fishing all night and many commentators believe they actually went back to their old life went back to fishing and Jesus meets them in their failure he meets them in their wandering and what does he do he's got a fire going and he's he's prepared breakfast another meal and he said to bring some of the fish you caught and we're gonna eat together And the last and final ultimate eating experience together is yet to come. And in the backdrop of this where I'm, where I'm going and we're going to reflect on later, uh, I just was so thankful for that worship today and pointing us to eternity and the return of Christ. Because the ultimate experience of eating together is coming when Jesus returns to this earth and his kingdom breaks in in its complete fullness. When the dead are resurrected, we receive new bodies, final justice is brought to bear on all sin and evil and he will celebrate with the greatest celebration banquet the world has ever seen. He called it the wedding feast of the Lamb where he, Jesus, he comes and his bride comes, the church made holy and pure and there is a wonder wonderful wonderful celebration with Jesus the groom and the bride made up of every believer from every tongue tribe and nation in the new heaven, the new earth. You see, eating was very important to Jesus for all kinds of reasons. And in the context of our series, there is something very um, important. I read a book. It's a leadership book, actually. But he actually talked about eating together by Eddie Gibbs, and his book is called The Monkey and the Fish. And he said, there is something mystical and spiritual that happens when we eat together in the presence of Jesus. More is going on than meets the eye. We are actually blessing one another and other people. So eating together is really important. How do we bless people? This is the content, the focus of our message today, and that is this. We bless people as we eat together because first, when we do so, we extend fellowship to them. Eating is not just refueling when we eat with purpose and see God's great intention for it, and when we use the process of eating together with a missional purpose that is to build redemptive relationship with people, when we bless neighbor, when we get together with those who are strangers, when we are building relationship and we come to the place of eating together, we are extending fellowship. It's more than refueling body. It's an invitation to fellowship. It's a tangible statement that you belong, that you're accepted, valued. Acquaintances become friends over shared meals. Don't you know that? You know that. You've met someone, you're sort of an acquaintance, you you take an evening together, you have a meal, or you get together. Through that, all of a sudden, they walk away with a little deeper friendship than when they first walked in. Friendship is developed and relationships deepen as we continue. And Henry Nouwen, who in Richmond Hill here, for those of us, we are fortunate to have his ministry here before he passed. It, uh, um, oh, now I've got a brain cramp. What, what is it, Scotty? Larsh. Yes, Lars Daybreak. And Henry Nouwen, who was the Oxford prof who came to Richmond Hill to serve uh, uh, men and women, or men who were struggling with... Um, You know, mental illness and mental handicap and stuff. He said this, when we invite friends for a meal, we do much more than offer food for them, for their bodies. We offer friendship, fellowship, good conversation, intimacy, and closeness. Now stay with me. When we say, he says, help yourself. Take some more. Don't be shy. Have another glass. We offer our guests not only our food and drink, but we are offering ourselves. And then he said this, a spiritual bond grows and we become food and drink to one another. Friends, eating together, if you eat with purpose and intention and see it as an amazing way to begin to be used by God to bless other people can have a powerful, powerful effect. Now, I just, I don't want to make a too big a deal about this, but I, I need to say this. This is a pastoral pause, okay? We need to be careful, especially if you're married, you need to just be aware and careful around the level of intimacy that develops around the opposite sex on this. I received the feedback from some of you who were a little miffed when I put up my little constellation of people, and they were all men. Now my fault, I should have put a couple of those guys and their wives, Leah and I, reach out to. And I know it's not a popular stance today, but I'm just gonna say it. You need to be wise, with healthy boundaries for preventative purposes and practices because there's just been too much heartache and hurt in the cause of Christ and to the body of Christ. And everything that we could try to do by eating together to bless others could actually just blow up. So work together with your spouse or with other believers. I just want you to just be careful, okay? Enough of that said. Let's leave it there. Just because of the depth of intimacy that happens when you're building these types of relationships with people. How we bless people as we gather, well, we extend extend, uh, fellowship to one another. Secondly, we inspire dialogue. This is what happens when we bless people over meals and eat with purpose. We sit around a table, a breakfast or lunch or dinner, a coffee table, a deck, a backyard, a picnic table in the park, or a campfire, sipping a hot chocolate. And it just seems to open up conversation. It's a great opportunity to practice what we said last week, and that is listening. Just get curious about people. Ask questions. Have them tell you their story. Ask about their life. You say, some people say, well, I don't know what I would say. I would just say this. And this, was, this happened to me yesterday, although it happened to be with a Christian. Uh, I was at your wonderful establishment at HBH, and uh, I was having lunch with someone, and I asked three or four questions, and an hour and a half went by later. Besides the first three or four minutes, I don't think I said hardly anything. I just listened. And when I left, he thanked me so much for how meaningful it was. Friends, just ask questions, get curious. Ask about their life, their family, their work. Tell me your story. Where did you come from? Talk to me about business, your hobbies, their pets, their health. Talk about travel, sports, where they've been, vacations. And eventually, during those kinds of conversations, you'll pick up on things because they will often then share a concern, a fear, a longing inside them. You'll pick up values that they hold, beliefs that they have. As you listen with compassion, just understand. Don't react, just understand. Ask questions about it. Enter their world, their confusion, their joy, their pain, their celebrations, and even their grief. I listened as this person poured out the pain of his mom having Alzheimer's, his dad having his license taken away. And uh, we know all those things. You enter the dialogue, it opens up ways that you can bless them, encourage them. The third way we bless people as we eat together is we actually manifest Jesus to them. Now, if you're a follower of Christ in the room, if you've made that decision to receive Him and His free forgiveness and His very life by His Spirit, and you've committed your life to follow Him, here's what the Bible tells us, that actually His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, comes into your, literally, into your literal being. And you manifest Him to people around you. Jesus, when he ate with people, manifested acceptance and inclusion, family, a sense of belonging, love, peace, grace, joy. He had concern for feeding the hungry. He manifested his generosity to people, especially those who had been marginalized. Over meals, he influenced people with love and the good news of the Father. And as followers of Him who have His Spirit in us and who are growing to become more like Him in our character, our thinking, our affections, our attitudes, as we are filled with His Spirit, we too then manifest His presence through us as we gather with others. I know it's hard to believe. Remember, things are not only as they seem. It's not just you and the other person in the room, it's you and the Spirit of God, the presence of Jesus and the other person. His Spirit is working in us and His Spirit is working through us. And so that we then, as Jesus did, accept people, include them, treat them like family, give them a sense of belonging. We open our ears and our hearts to them, we express genuine love, we laugh with joy. We give peace, we extend grace, we're manifesting to them what Jesus is like, revealing how he treats people, what he thinks about them. This is so real that the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians says he likens the presence of Jesus in us before other people like a fragrance like a fine parfumo, literally. Or he likens us to literally a letter written by the Spirit of God that others read when they're with us. And this is why we talk so much here at Summit about becoming like him in our character, thinking, attitudes, values, affections, because we actually carry the presence of Christ and we manifest him to other people. So eating together gives a wonderful opportunity to do so in a posture of prayer as we listen with compassion over a drink or a a coffee or a meal together, and we actually, they get a glimpse or an understanding of who Jesus is. Does that make sense to you? The fourth way we bless others as we eat together is that we celebrate culture. We celebrate culture. Now, here at Summit, we're in year three of about a five-year journey to intentionally become intercultural. We're getting there. We're not near where we need to be, but we're getting there. And part of the wonder of this journey is that there's something about eating together and other cultural foods that both express and receive. We receive intercultural blessing from one another with... Eating food that isn't sort of our usual food. Eddie Gibbs, again in the book The Monkey and the Fish, says this Nothing represents the soul of a culture like her food. Maybe close her music. Trying ethnic food is a foray into culture, he says. And eating someone's ethnic food with them is a tangible way to do life with them, to demonstrate that you're trying to be one with them, and you accept them. And so he exhorts churches to help develop intercultural relationships by inviting others from other countries, ethnicities, and cultures to share their food together. We've done this in our past. We called it a Taste of Summit, and we had everyone bring their food from other cultures, and I think we should do one before summer, don't you think? I'm into that. Can someone arrange that? Hey, we celebrate the wonder of our intercultural family of God. And one of the best ways to do that is around food. Or let them choose the restaurant you go eat to. Lastly, we bless other people as we eat together because we point people to heaven we point to heaven now I know this in some ways may mean more to the believer but there's other ways in which it also blesses those who do not yet know Jesus C.S. Lewis taught, taught this that every single pleasure in this life is but a taste and a hint a foretaste of what's coming Eating together is an earthly representation of the heavenly banquet that's coming when the Lord returns, and we have this opportunity in this life to be able to share that. We help others also who don't yet know Jesus to receive his invitation to that banquet. In fact, Isaiah in the Older Testament prophesied about this future celebration in the fullness of the life of the kingdom of God when the Lord returns, and he did so in the context of a beautiful feast. He said this in chapter 25, verse 6, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine. The Apostle John, in recording the revelation of Jesus Christ in the last book of the New Testament, refers to the great celebration on that day of the marriage feast of the Lamb. And friends, if you just want to just get a little excited and just listen to the words, I want to read it again, Revelation 19, verses 6 through 9. And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God Almighty reigns. Let's rejoice and exult and give him glory. Why? For the marriage feast of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself in fine linen, speaking of righteousness, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed blessed are those who are invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. When we eat together with purpose, when we influence people by listening and praying for them and just blessing them. Yes, there's some more to come in this series, but friends, we get to play a part in their response to this invitation that they will be able to celebrate with us in that great day. It's incredible to think about. Now very quickly, I know, and I know immediately. We got lots of excuses. I, I don't know, I'm uncomfortable having people in my home for lots of reasons. Some there's health stuff in our culture, and some of us are afraid to do that. Sometimes we feel like oh, my house isn't nice enough. Um, we think it's messier. We don't think that you know we just don't like people in our house. Some say I can't afford to pay for a nice fancy meal. Some say, I wouldn't know what to talk about. Some say, well, I'm not sure they're going to like me. What if I ask them and they say no and they, they walk away, they do not like me. And some say, I just don't have the time. I mean, I'd like to, but I just don't have the time. Friends, when we consider what's at state, just remember, if you really don't want them in your home, take them for coffee. You don't have to put on a mass of spread. I've told you before, the mo- one of the most memorable meals I got invited to someone's house after church, Leah and I, was a family of young kids. They lived in a rental home, it wasn't fancy, and they served pancakes and popcorn and chocolate milk. That was our Sunday dinner. But we fellowshiped. And do you think I care? Do you think they cared? I love that. It's not about impressing. It's about extending fellowship. You don't have to spend tons of money. We tried to help you with some of this. don't know what to talk about. Just replay. Go back and watch it online. Just remember, ask them about all kinds of things. Their, Their past, their history, their work, their family, their pets, their, you know, you name it. I'm not sure they'll like me. Well, I can't really help you with that. <laughs> uh, that, honestly, I mean, there's, there's something there that, you know, there obviously needs to be some work there, and you've, many have felt obvious rejection. So I don't, I don't want to make light of that. But Jesus is there to help heal that too. And, uh, and the time factor... You know, uh, I'm going to get to that one in the end here in a second. So here, here's how we bless people. I just want to uphold the actual higher principles compared to our, ex- our, our excuses. And believe me, I've used them too. I've used the same ones. So we extend fellowship. We inspire dialogue. We actually manifest Jesus. We celebrate culture and we point to heaven. We actually do bless people when we eat together. When you start to practice the simple, everyday way of blessing people, you'll be amazed how you can impact the lives of those around you, especially around a table, and you're going to find out something that Dave and John Ferguson said: "Helping others, you will be helping others eat their way into the kingdom of God." So in conclusion. <clears throat> Is it any wonder that the Bible, God's Word to us, calls us to hospitality? While it's not always and doesn't only mean food, it does and many times does. 1 Peter 4 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Romans 12, seek to show hospitality. 1 Timothy 3, 2 and Titus 1, 3, and one of the requirements for church leaders. Church leaders... Pastors, elders, staff, other ministry leaders, listen up. One of the requirements for church leaders, an overseer must be hospitable. Hebrews 3.2, don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. We could go on. But there is something wonderful that happens when we eat together. And what better way to know people and get to know them and bless them than eating and drinking and laughing and listening and remembering and sharing, whether around a table or sitting on the floor or in the backyard or across a Starbucks or wherever you happen to frequent. It's one of the ways that Jesus most effectively modeled and ministered to people, and he blessed them. It's going to open up opportunities to bless others and love neighbors and influence people and guide them to know Jesus. So friends, I actually want to call us to a commitment today. The point isn't just a nice talk to give you information. That would be a waste of all of our time. What if every one of us in this room made a commitment in our hearts that we would begin to eat together together And eat with those within your sphere of influence that don't yet know Jesus. It doesn't mean you can't eat together with Christians. But you do the same kinds of things with them, but especially those that don't know God. If you eat three meals a day, that's 21 a week, and it's around 84 a month. Plus times of coffee breaks, morning, evening, or afternoon. can you arrange to start with at least one time to eat or drink with someone who doesn't know God? Someone in your sphere of influence and just bless them. Pray for them and just gather with them, bless them, ask them questions and listen with compassion. Could we do that? If the only thing Stood in the way, or if the beginning of the process of leading someone into a life giving relationship with Christ, if all that was in the way was your invitation to bless them and listen and eat together, would you do that? I know you would. So let's pray and ask God to help us do that. Let's pray.